Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and this week we're tackling a topic that's pretty close to home for me, buying a car in 2019. And no, not because I'm car shopping, but because I worked on the U.S. News Autos Rankings and Reviews team for a few years, between 2014 and 2016, and I'm joined by my former boss. Uh, Co-hosting with me this week is Jamie Page Deaton, Executive Editor for U.S. News Best Cars. Jamie, thanks for joining me. I'm glad we could do this. Well, thanks for having me. And our guest this week is Lauren Fix. Professionally known as the Car Coach, Lauren is an automotive expert, award-winning author of three automotive books. She's an ASE certified technician, race car driver, and journalist. Lauren, thank you for coming on to offer your expertise. Well, thank you for having me. Lauren, that's quite a bio. So I I have to ask before we get started here about your race car driving experience. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. I started racing in 1980. No one in my family raced. Um, Someone asked me to go to an autocross. I had no idea what that was. So that was basically driving around pylons in a parking lot. And I loved it. And I met my first boyfriend there that that night and uh, started getting into racing. And later on that year, someone said, hey, we're going to Nelson Ledges, Ohio, which is sort of a school track now. Do you want to come? Sure. Well, at the time, you know, there weren't too many women drivers, and I had an opportunity to ride in the pace car. And this is for, this is, now we're already into Halloween. This is, they call it the Halloween run. It's the last race of the year. And so I jump into the pace car. Now, it could have been any field behind me, and this is 1980. Could have been anything. So I turn around behind me. It could have been MGs, open wheel cars. No. It was ground pounding GT1s, Corvettes, Mustangs, Camaros big V8 motors, and I was driving a a 79 Mustang with a 302 in it, and I turned around, and I saw the field, and I went, I'm doing that. So I went home. I ripped out my interior of my car. My mother thought it was nuts because it was the only vehicle I had. I put a roll cage in it, a fire suppression system, and I got a few driving schools in and was starting to race beyond autocross um, at NACCA for quite a while, and... uh, in 86, I met my husband, who was doing amazing show-winning cars. He just won Amelia Island. So his show cars were going one direction. I was racing going the other. And I said, there's got to be some sort of happy medium. So we found SVRA, which is a sports car vintage racing association. I taught him how to drive. He was my best student ever. Uh, since then, he has raced and won in SCCA, Trans Am, IMSA, um, he's raced World Challenge. He's raced globally. We just got back from Germany last year, and I've raced all over the country. And so we've been racing together. Our kids raced. My son raced at six. He's now 25, so he had to go to college. He's on his own. And our daughter raced go-karts for a while. So we are a car family. We even named our daughter Shelby. So I'm pretty addicted, yeah, after the Shelby Mustang. Um, but I race an 850-horsepower uh, X-Trans Am car. It was a 2004 Jaguar XKRS. And it was the champion car. So I still have it, and I run it in vintage racing, and my husband runs in current Trans Am with a Mustang. That's great. That's great. Uh, So we're talking buying a car in 2019. Uh, Let's open up here with a fairly general question uh, for both of you. What are your thoughts on the current status of the car buying industry? Do buyers have the advantage? Do sellers? Is, Is the market particularly strong? You know, I think if you're talking about um, who's got the advantage, um, it's a little bit mixed. I think it really depends on what kind of car you're after um, and your willingness to kind of swim against uh, the grain and the trend of general car buying right now. So, for example, if you're a buyer and you're in the market for a hybrid, you are in a great position because gas prices are relatively low and the vast majority of buyers want big SUVs and crossovers. Um, So you're going to be able to get an excellent deal because automakers are having a really hard time moving those models. However, if you're looking for a large SUV, it's much more of a seller's market because that's where all the demand is. The other thing to remember is the market is softening a little bit compared to highs how it's been in the past couple of years. So um, dealers do have a little bit more unsold inventory than they have in years past, but it's still not like how it was, you know, back in 2008, where it was just generally a fire fire sale. Automakers have gotten a lot better at managing their inventory. They've gotten a lot better at not overbuilding. Um, So it's not like you're going to be able to waltz in and just, you know, point to something and get a huge incentive just because um, sales are a little bit softer than they were last year. Uh, What it really comes down 
down to is if you're going to get a good deal on a new car, it's going to come down to shopping away from SUVs and crossovers and looking at less popular models, which honestly, they're not less popular because they're bad. They're less popular because people just want SUVs now and you can still just get a really great car if you're willing to give up, um, you know, a little bit of space on the inside and a little bit of a higher driving position. I agree with you, Jamie, because I think that SUVs are super popular and you're looking at car sales and how they've dropped so dramatically. I think that a lot of people are very concerned as far as manufacturer position. Boy, you know, we're making all these cars, especially companies like Toyota. And when you're looking at FCA and GM and Ford, they've cut way back on their car production. And you're looking at other ones making an assessment. You know, are we selling all these different trim levels? You look at Honda, you know, they've, you know, they've got the, the Civic. Is that still their best seller? You know, when people are buying SUVs, Nissan's doing the same thing. And so car manufacturers understand that. Then you're looking at the Germans and what are they building? Tons and tons of SUVs, especially the different levels. Now I always laugh because you got the full size luxury SUV and then you get the midsize and you got the compact, then you got the micro and I'm waiting for the teeny weeny itsy bitsy, you know, <laughs> getting so small. They're like smart cars. But with that thought in mind, consumers want to have that more storage. They want to have that higher visibility and they want safety. And, and all of these also are coming with some really cool technology. I mean, you're looking at the Hyundai Kona, comes electric, which is a little more expensive, but a gasoline-powered vehicle, which one utility of the, of the year, coming in at $20,000, you know, $19,999. So, I mean, I'm sure there's incentives, especially if you've already owned a Hyundai or you're coming from another brand. There's either something that people should never overlook, which is the Conquest discount or the loyalty discount, depending upon what you're buying can be a small or a large number. But if you leave that on the table, you're leaving money behind. And I always tell people, you know, before you go and buy these things, you're looking at a $20,000 car. Number one rule, never pay retail. I don't care if it's the most popular car out there. That window sticker number, they call it in the business. I used to be a dealer trainer. No kidding. They call it the laydown price. So if you're foolish enough to pay the number that's on the window sticker, you're paying too much. It's a negotiable price. I'm so glad you brought that up. We will get to negotiating uh, tactics a little, a little bit farther in this podcast. But for now, I want to address, I think every car buyer seemingly asks, where are the best deals to be had? And so I'll turn to you too and ask this incredibly loaded question. Uh, Where are the best deals to be had? Uh, What opportunities are there for car buyers that they might not think about when first evaluating the need for a new car? Again, it really just comes down to swim against the tide. And everybody's going for SUVs. If you are, if you can do without something that is an SUV or a crossover, you will save so much money. So every month, what we do um, over on the Cars Deem is we will collect and we'll analyze um, the car deals from 20 different manufacturers, and we look and say, all right, who's offering cash back? Who's offering low interest or no interest financing? What are the terms? What are the lease deals? And consistently now, for years, <laughs> we've seen the best deals have really come on cars, so your basic sedans. And now, especially um, as automakers have had to cut entire lines of cars, and now there are cars out there that aren't going to be built anymore, but they still need to be sold, automakers want to get rid of them, so they're putting a lot of cash on their hoods, so you're going to get a big discount off of the suggested retail price. And that's on top of whatever you can negotiate with the dealer. So right there shop cars if you're looking for a deal. The other thing that we do is every month we do um, a slideshow on the best cars to buy now. These are cars that do really, really well in the U.S. news rankings, but have low sales or are experiencing a sales drop. And so these are cars that are not popular just because maybe they haven't had the marketing push behind them that a lot of other cars have, but they are really good cars to own. And they're cars where you can get a really good deal on it too, simply because you're in a stronger negotiating position. Um, So really swimming against the tide is the best way to do it. The other good way to get a deal, particularly if if you want a more popular model, is to just know what you should expect to pay before you go in. So we have pricing tools on the site where you can see what people in your area have been paying for the exact same car. You can build the car, the exact same trim that you're looking for, the exact same features, and you can see what people in your zip code are paying for it. And that gives you an idea of, all right, this gives me a target to negotiate towards. Because I think the biggest mistake in this day and age that a car shopper can make is go into the dealership blind and go in assuming that, you know, just going, you know, maybe $500 under sticker or $200 or 
like a thousand dollars under sticker, assuming that's the best you can do. You want to go in and you want to be realistic because sometimes the pricing will come up and say, you know what, maybe the best you're going to do is 1500 under sticker, but at least you'll know that. So you won't go in with the expectation of, oh, I'm going to get three grand off this car. Um, but if you can get three grand off the price of this car, you're going to know about it. And so going in as an informed consumer is really the best way that we found um, for our users to save money. One of the things that I always tell people when you're looking to buy a car, besides doing your homework, looking for incentives, looking for money that's on the hood, because some dealers may offer it, is don't forget to use the Internet. It's your friend. So if you live in Oklahoma City, you might think, well, I'm just going to go to my local dealers, which is great because it's good for local business. But you should also shop online and do some comparison shopping. So whether you're looking for a car, an SUV, or a truck, maybe you definitely need a pickup truck. And you've got your heart set on a specific brand and a specific model. The first thing I always tell people is do your homework, look for your incentives, look for anything that will help you, you know, work with a specific dealer. And then when you get that best price, don't make the deal just yet. What you want to do is go online and use some of the apps. There's tons of them. I know that there's Carvana and Vroom, but there's also a new company called Wheelwish, which I just was playing with, and it's like Priceline for cars. So you put that out there. They send it out to 750 dealers, and whoever's got the car first one that hits, I got it. It's like Uber, right? Boom, they got it. You can make the deal. Now, you don't have to make that deal. You can then take that good price, go back to your local dealer and say, you know, um, I got a guy online who's in... Arizona, who's willing to deliver the car for me at no charge, do you want this deal? Most likely, the local dealer is going to say, please don't buy out of the area. We really want to create a business relationship because they don't make money on the sale of the car. They make the money on the repair and maintenance. And that's another interesting thing because there's only about 30% dealer retention. So that means for every 100 cars that are sold, only 30 go back to the dealer for repair. And they want to create that relationship so you come back. Cars that include free maintenance like BMW, Jaguar, Land Rover, Mini, they have a higher retention, closer to 60%, because people go back because it's free. So it's, it's interesting to watch how this can be to your favor to go online and look at some of these apps, go on, online and shop, and use it as a comparison shopping tool because you may only have one Audi dealer in your area. And like I do. So you want to make sure to shop the country. Uh, last time I bought my last SUV, I bought it in Washington, D.C., and I live in Buffalo. I flew in. They picked me up. I drove it home. They offered to deliver it, but I wanted to see the vehicle. So, I mean, there's a lot of good ways to save money. And if you're thinking, I really just I have issue with buying a new car, that's great. Look at certified pre-owns. The one thing I do recommend when you do that is go to the dealer of the brand you're thinking. For example, you're looking at a Volkswagen Tiguan. And don't go to a Ford dealer, go to a VW dealer because they're going to give you the longer factory warranty. If you buy it from another brand, you're not going to get that same extended factory warranty that they can offer you. Just be careful not to buy outside extended warranties. Try to get a factory warranty, especially if it's a year-old or a two-year-old car. You can save a lot of money. You may not get to pick the options, but you also might get more than you want, so you might get some good deals. So you, you guys have both touched on, on this a little bit, but every time people ask me, uh, for for tips on on car buying, they always bring up the same thing, and that they hate going to the dealership. They don't want to be pestered by the salesman. They don't want to be forced to see cars, you know, five thousand dollars above their price range. Uh, I, I rewatched Fargo this weekend, uh, and there's that amazing scene early on when the salesman Jerry Lundergaard keeps pitching the True Coat sealant over and over again, even though uh, the customer doesn't care about it. And he keeps saying, "Oh well, you know that True Coat's great. You're gonna want that True Coat." There are so many pop culture stereotypes about the annoyance of going to the dealership. Uh, so what tips do you guys have for interested car buyers uh, who would rather, frankly, get a root canal than walk into the dealership? You, you've, already, you've already mentioned some of the, the before-you-go things to do, like the research and using the Internet. But what are some basic tips for once you're in the door? My first and most important tip, well, first, just to back up for a second, I have seen in the past couple of years when I've either bought a car or gone car shopping um, with friends and family, the dealers have heard this message and they are getting better. Um, there are, of course, you know, bad actors in every industry, but um, for the most part, I've been really impressed the past couple of times that I've been to dealers because simply the pressure, high pressure sales tactics, they've heard from consumers they don't want those. And to be honest, you know, I think there is an undercurrent of kind of fear within the auto dealer industry that, oh gosh, we have 
you know, all these different options for consumers moving in. So we have to do better or we're going to be put out of business. So that's number one. But number two, I always try and remind people that this is a business transaction. I know it's personal for you. Like you're going in, let's say, you know, you're you're shopping for, let's say you just had like your third kid. So you're shopping for a minivan and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be my new living room. Like this is where we're going to have heart to heart talks, where we're going to go on road trips. I'm really excited about this. This is a lot of money. It's very stressful, but you're emotionally involved in it. And the car dealer is not because it's a business transaction for them. So I find that if you can put yourself in the mind of I am doing a business transaction and take the emotion out of it. So if the dealer's being pushy or you don't like the numbers, don't take it personally. They're not trying, um, you know, they didn't wake up this morning to kind of be like, well, who can I, you know, mess up over? No, they just want to make money and they've got a right. They're a business. They have a right to a reasonable profit. You as a consumer have a right to pay a fair price. So if you treat it as a business transaction, you do your research before you go in and go in as kind of, you know, as unemotional and kind of, you know, Commander Spock-like as possible, um, you will do well. The other thing to remember is you do not have to buy the car. You can always get up and walk away. And that is the most powerful tool in the consumer's um, in the consumer's backpack. You know, while you're at the dealership, if you're really unhappy with how you're being treated, you're unhappy with um, the deal you're being offered, or even if you're just like, you know what, this guy's just rubbing me the wrong way. I don't want to see this car. You're not listening. Just very calmly say, hey, you know what? I told you this was my... You know, this was the upper limit of my price range. I told you the car had to have all-wheel drive. You're showing me stuff that's $5,000 above budget, doesn't have all-wheel drive. I feel like you're not listening to me, and so I'm going to go someplace else. But just very calmly and politely advocate for yourself. Don't get mad. Don't get upset. Just say, you know what? You're not suiting my needs. You're not meeting me where I am. You're not going to help me complete this business transaction that I set out to do, so I'm going to go someplace else. Um, And more often than not, you know, what you might be able to do is either go work with another local dealer or even a dealer out of your area to Lauren's earlier point, um, but you might also just be able to find a different salesperson at that dealership potentially to work with because that dealership wants your business too. So just really just take the emotion as best you can out of it and you know, do your research ahead of time um, so that it's not quite so bad. Yeah, I agree with you. Those are really great tips. My rule of thumb is always don't be afraid to walk away. I mean, there's always the deal that sounds so good and you feel the pressure and you're thinking, I really don't like this. You know, they're like, they're showing me something I don't want. Or I, as a dealer trainer, the first thing I always told people is have a firm handshake. Don't have this lame handshake. Don't make the assumption that it's the guy's car. And if a woman's there, it could be her decision. And don't go the other direction either where you're so, you know, placating to the female and ignoring the male. And a lot of people bring their kids with them too, because kids are a distraction. They also help make a decision on the car. Um, most dealers got that and they understand, you know, the power of the person that women are making, you know, 85% of the buying and maintenance decisions. We own 62% of the cars on the road and we have 95% veto power. Those numbers in mind, they're well aware of that. But walking into a dealership can be hit or miss, not just for you, but also for me, because I've had that too, where I walk in, you know, and, and gotten this whole look down your nose at me. And I'm like, really? Uh, yeah, I used as a, I used to work for a bunch of different companies. We'd go in and double check the training, and I would purposely go in and work out <laughs> close just to see how they would treat me. Oh, I got I walked into a Lincoln dealership. This is many years ago, um, around the two thousands, and the and the guy said to me, "Oh, honey, first mistake, the repair is in back." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, double striked right out of the box," you know. <laughs> and it was purposeful that I, I played with him. But he failed. And so there are bad actors in every area. But if you really don't like who you want, it's the only deal in the area, and you truly want to do business with them, ask to speak to a sales manager and to say, really, I'm not getting along well with this person. Can I have someone else? And if he says, that's the only one we have, then say, well, okay, then you got the Internet. But that's what's great about the Internet. You can be in your pajamas because you're not going to go shopping in person in your pajamas. But you can sit there at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning thinking, you know what, I I just found out I was pregnant. I really need to have a, you know, a minivan or a bigger vehicle, a three-row, or whatever your deal is. Or I want a compact car because now I'm going to be driving. My new job takes me to the city. So my daughter has a Mini Cooper because the parking is easier. So you have to start thinking about these things at 1 in the morning. You can get online on an app. You can go to a million websites, including U.S. News and World Report, and get a conglomeration of great information so you're prepared. So now you kind of know what you want, and then you can shop around and find the pricing that you want. And then you can call your local dealer and say, because believe me, the local dealers are online too. Every local dealer has an internet space that you can communicate with a person, not a robot, not a computer. 
And believe me, they really want you to walk in the dealership. But before you make any decisions, period, you must, must, must drive that vehicle because I'm telling you the three most important things. Number one, I talk about this all the time in my car reviews. Number one, seating position. It will never get better, it will never get more comfortable, and you will never be able to see any clearer. So if this is gonna be the best it's gonna be and you've got a bad back from delivering six kids, well, lumbar support might be more important to you than someone that it isn't. Or if you want a higher visibility in a truck, you, the seat may not adjust that way. Or I have a lot of friends that are under five feet tall where they need adjustable pedals. So these are things you don't wanna be so close to the airbag to the center of your chest. Um, so I always tell people, number one, seating comfort, two, visibility, three, safety, and then a lot of people, it's, you know, the technology and, the, you know, and all the cool other stuff and a sunroof and performance, all that's great. But seating comfort, visibility, and safety should be your top three priorities. And if you're not sure where these cars rank in safety, the federal government has safercar.gov. You can go on and find crash test ratings, side impact stuff, whatever you want. But the more information you have, I always recommend printing it out, the old printer, and carrying it in with you because if you walk in with a file folder of information they know they're not selling you a car today so the first rule of thumb is if you're going to do local dealers only drive the car take the person's business card and say i really appreciate your time today i am not making a decision today i'm going to drive the other vehicles and i will call you back and of course they're going to try and call you back but when you're ready to make that decision you do if they ask you are you leasing or buying today don't answer that question say i don't know do you have a trade-in I'm not sure. The reason you're so evasive in those answers or how much can you afford this month, those are the three worst questions to start a sales pitch. It should be, what do you need? What do you want? And then we'll try to find you that vehicle if it fits into your price range. And you may have to go to a certified pre-owned. But at least there's options. But you won't know that if they go right for the hard-hitting questions. Those are the salespeople you don't want to work with. There's, there's one thing that I do want to, uh, actually two points that I want to add, because Lauren made a lot of really good um, points there. But one is, don't be afraid to go, you know, along with your big printed file of information, don't be afraid to go a little bit old school. Two, if someone you know has a car from a brand you're considering, ask them about their sales experience and see if they'll refer you to their salesperson. On the last car I bought was I worked with a specific salesperson because I was referred there by a friend. Oh, go down and see Howie. He's great. And it was great. He just we just walked in. We knew exactly what we wanted. And those types of referrals, the um, you know, the dealer who you're working with knows that those referrals are easy leads for them. And he knows then too, if you've been referred, that you're likely to refer him or her, you know, to other people as well. So they're going to work hard to keep that kind of community of referrals together. So use your referrals, use your own personal right. network is one thing. The other thing is in addition to that big um, file folder of paper, don't be afraid to have your mobile tools at the ready, particularly when you start talking about, you know, financing or leasing or anything like that. You know, we talked about knowing what you should pay for price before you walk in the dealership. If you're going to need to finance this car, you should have offers in hand before you hit the dealership as well. You need to have ideally more than one financing offer. And you should have on your phone, just saved right there, ready to go, have a finance calculator, or if you're leasing, have a lease calculator open and check their math. So uh, this was a couple years ago. My husband and I were going to go and we were going to lease a Chevy Tahoe and we were going through all the leasing, you know, terms and stuff. And something just seemed really, really off. And it was because the money factor, which is basically the interest rate in, um, in leasing, it's you know expressed in a different way than an interest rate is well i was just doing the math back on the money factor and this guy was trying to charge us 12 percent interest on a lease and oh. yeah and we we knew because we had actually gotten you know financing approval like we knew we qualified for a much better rate than that but he was trying to make a little bit of money by sending in you know a worse lease and at that point first of all he was shocked that i knew how to do the math to convert <laughs> a money factor into the interest Don't rate underestimate right <laughs> but like it's just one of those things where it's have your tools open know what the questions are going to be that you're going to need answered and it's just like any other type of large transaction you know if you were renting an apartment you would be going in and saying all right, what are my utilities going to be? What's the distance to the grocery store? What kind of traffic are we looking at? Go through again and any type of deal that you would have, you know, as you're going through the car deal, say, look beyond the monthly payment. Go, what's the price? What is, what, what, what's the kind of price that I should be paying for this car? What is the value of my trade-in if I have one? Go and research that first too. Again, this is all available online. What kind of interest rate do I qualify for? And then have that information in hand 
you know, and you can go into the dealer and say, you know what, I have these offers, I need you to beat them. Um, and then beyond that too, if you're leasing, know what the residual value of the car is likely to be, um, you know, that you're leasing in a couple of years, know how much, how many miles you're going to put on it every year. You should have the answers to all those questions, even if you're not sharing it with the dealer, even if you're saying, oh, I don't know, you know, do what you can, you know, do see what you can do for me. But have all that stuff in hand and don't be afraid to whip out your phone and check everybody's math as the deal is going through. That's great advice. And also, if you, if you don't have a friend who has a car that you're looking at, and you see someone in the grocery store parking lot or in the mall, I have asked total strangers, and I've had people ask me because I get different journalist cars every week like Jamie does, and I'll pull in and someone will say, what do you think of that? But if I've asked people in the other direction when I'm thinking about a vehicle, you know, what do you think of that dealer? Or if I'm just doing some research, you know, what do you think of the car? And it's always interesting to hear their feedback because when you catch people in a parking lot, and they'll, they're going to be straight up honest with you because they don't have time. It's not a coffee clutch. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, I really love this dealer. you got to talk to, you know, Rich. He was awesome. He took real good care of me, especially if you're looking at a premium car. I mean, I drive a Porsche Cayenne, so people stop me and ask me a lot of questions. Oh, I didn't know Porsche made SUVs. I'm like, have you been since 2004 but <laughs> but but they're not looking for it at that time because typically with the auto industry when you're looking at a home you start looking at home prices when you're looking at a car you're looking you look at the auto industry but because this industry is like shopping for appliances you never look at appliances until you need one then you start looking to see what the prices are and same thing with automotive so make sure to do the research like jamie and i were saying because it'll really save you a lot of money and make help you make a better decision so i want to go back you guys have have each offered excellent tips in terms of negotiation, but I want to make sure we go back to the sticker price and the fees, and I want to get it on the record from two experts, because I try to tell people this, and they I don't think they really believe me, but that price that you see on the sticker is always negotiable. Those fees that they tack on that they say, oh, I can't, I, there's nothing I can do about this fee, or or when they say, you know what, let me go talk to my boss, I'll be right back. And then they go and watch the television in the break room for five minutes and then come back and say, <laughs> oh, there's not, I'm sorry, we tried, there's nothing I can do. I, I, can I hear it from the two of you that all of these fees and these prices are negotiable? They are all negotiable. Everything's negotiable. I've had um, where I've been like, you know what? I know you can't go. I know you can't go lower on the price, <laughs> but how about you cover the sales tax? And they're like, okay, like th there's there's different ways to make the deal, but by the same token, be careful. Again, you know these are car dealers; they're a business; they're entitled to make a profit. That's you know it ain't UNICEF, but um, you know be careful that you don't save so much on the price and the fees that you end up say, let's say you you negotiate away two thousand dollars worth of fees, then all of a sudden your you know trade in is worth two thousand dollars less to the dealer as well. So just keep an eye on because there's all these moving parts. Try and negotiate everything separately. So first, negotiate the price of the car you're going to buy. Then negotiate your trade-in value. Then talk about financing. And if you're really unhappy with kind of those three um, factors, and also lucky you if you don't need to negotiate financing or don't need to get financing, um, once you've negotiated all three of those things, then see what kind of sweeteners they can throw in. Can they waive fees? Can they give you a free maintenance plan where free maintenance wouldn't otherwise be there? Can they throw in, I don't know, you know, undercoating, which is pretty useless, but can they get, give you something to make you feel better, essentially? But all of that stuff, it's all negotiable. It's a business, and it's all negotiable. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that's negotiable that people forget about is that price that's on the window sticker, which is called a Monroney. Um, if you buy the price that's on the window sticker, like I said, they call it, and I'm not kidding you, a lay down because basically you're laying down. And they will tell you, oh, we can't do anything. It's a popular car. Now, if you've done your homework, you'll know there's incentives, and there's tons of great incentives. Your military, there's an incentive, which you can get discounts through USAA. Um, if, if you're a first-time graduate, you're newly married, you just moved to a city, you got your first job, you're switching brands. If you're switching brands, if you're talking about like a, something more premium, like BMW, Audi, Infiniti, stuff like that, there's at least $2,000 in there. If you're looking at something that's more reasonably priced, like a Kia or something that like that, you might be looking at $500 to $1,000. There's no here nor there as far as a price range. It's not, there's not like a scale, but it's sort of a sliding scale. Um, that's one thing. Don't forget to negotiate it. And I love when people say, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of that. I'll have to ask my manager. Is a total line of crap. Because the fact that I'm being honest, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this and I've had to go back with friends. A friend of mine wanted to buy a premium vehicle and I went in and said, hey, don't forget the Conquest discount. You're taking them for Mercedes. There's no such thing. I said, that is not true. I said, here's the deal. 
Do you want this sale or do you want her to walk to a different dealer? Let me talk to my manager came back with a full $2,500 discount. And there are discounts. A friend of mine just bought a Volvo XC90. She went, she had gone to Costco to get the best price. I was able to negotiate her a better price. And in the end, on a full loaded XC90, she said it saved $7,500. She says, I, oh, do I owe you anything? I said, nope. <laughs> I said, because the idea is I am so thrilled that she learned what it took. That it wasn't that difficult. It wasn't a long process. It was just, it's a business deal. He needed to get rid of the vehicle on the lot that was fully loaded. She needed a vehicle. And there are incentives there. And they get reimbursed for these incentives. Just like Holdback, which they use like a co-op advertising, they get reimbursed for these at the dealer level. And my favorite thing that really infuriates me is when the salesman says, well, you're leaving me with 50 bucks on the table. That is so not true. That's like saying, well, I I can't put shoes on my kid's feet. Then you're in the wrong business. You know what I mean? That is not your salesperson. So, you know, really think about, do I want to do business with this person? And as you negotiate, like Jamie said, separate deals, one is on the car, one is on the used trade-in. And a tip is if you buy less than 10,000, if you drive less than 10,000 miles or over 15,000 miles, you should buy the car. Because a lot of people are very confused on that. Because if you, the lowest lease you can buy is 10,000 miles. So now you've got 10,000 miles you're driving, great, you're getting your money's worth. But if you only drive 5,000 miles a year, you're leaving money on the table. Going the other direction, you drive more than 15,000 miles, which is what they like to put you in. 15,000 max, and you're driving 20,000 because you're an on-the-road person, you're always busy, you don't want to pay that overage fee because it gets very expensive because now you're using up the full usage of the car. So keep that in mind and don't get stuck in what they're doing now is putting you into 48th month leases so that you can afford the car. Be very, very careful. Those will cost you because a lot of times the warranty ends at three years, 36,000 miles, and you don't want to have to pay a whole year of potential warranty work or maintenance out of your pocket, it could cost you a lot more money than you're saving. So you, you touched on leasing versus buying. What other tips, suggestions do you guys have? Is that pretty much the, the hard and fast rule is to look at the mileage and how much you're, you're using the car to decide leasing, buying? Uh, or are there other uh, guidelines for that as well? I mean, I think that's a really, the, the 10,000 miles to, to 15,000 miles is a really good rule for leasing. I, you know, this is just speaking personally, you know, I am of two minds of leasing. Um, I really like leasing for a lot of people because if you have a tight monthly budget, leasing is a great way to get a new safe car with the latest technology into it. The problem with it is from a long-term perspective, you end up spending more. So for example, if you have, you know, a, uh, a lease, let's say for 250 bucks a month that you're paying on a lease, um, you end it after three years and then you spend another 250 bucks a month on the next lease and then probably, you know, three years after that, you're spending 300 to 400 bucks a month on a lease because your needs have changed. You're going to more expensive cars and cars have gotten more expensive. You always have that payment. If you buy the car, it's more expensive in the short term, but you can get rid of the payment eventually and drive the car into the ground. And today's cars have gotten so good that 100,000 miles is nothing to a lot of the cars on the road today. And so if you can buy a car, even if you have to finance it for you know up to five years, I really don't think you should finance beyond five years. Even financing up to five years is not a great idea, but I understand that people have budgets and immediate monthly needs. Um, but if you can finance a car for five years and then drive it another five, you are in such good shape and so much better shape financially than somebody who's constantly leasing, leasing, and leasing, and leasing. Now, if you don't mind the monthly outlay of a lease and you're not going to go over or under the mileage, then great. Like, I've got no nothing against that. I've leased a car when it was, you know, when I've known that my needs were going to change in three years and I didn't want to invest in the full price. Um, so this is great. You know, leasing, I think, is a good option if you're maybe a younger person and you're thinking, you know, I need a good car for commuting now, but I might want to have kids in the next couple of years, so I know I'm going to need something bigger. Um, Another thing, um, you know, that I would see in this kind of environment, if you're considering buying an electric car, but the one you want isn't on the on the market yet, now is a great time to lease something to just kind of hold you over until, you know, something with the technology you want um, and the powertrain you want comes out. But for the most part, you've got to really sit down and do the math on leasing versus buying and make sure that it fits your monthly budget and your long term goals. I mean, I think the people I mean, this is a personal finance podcast, so I'm sure a lot of the people listening know that really the smartest thing to do is to buy a used car. Um, for as put down as much cash as you can and then drive it into the ground um, until you get on um, as 
Michelle Singletary, she's one of my favorite personal finance columnists. She always says, drive it till you're on a first name basis with your local tow truck driver. And as long as it's not, you know, preventing you from getting to work or, you know, leaving you at the side of the road at an unsafe situation, keep it, drive it, drive it until it's dead. Um, squeeze every last cent of value that you can out of that car. Um, but again, understand that we're at a little bit more of a rental economy now. And so leasing does make sense for a lot of people who may not have a lot of cash up front um, or have a little bit of a tight, tighter monthly budget. I'm in D.C. I feel like most instances of my friends who own cars knowing the first name of the towed truck drivers because they've been towed for parking illegally over and over and over again over in Washington, D.C. <laughs> but hey, at least maybe, you know, get his car. That's right. And when their car breaks down, they'll know who to get, call. You know, Frequent flyer discount. He was a nice guy. (laughs) Well, one of the things, if you are going to buy a used car, my number one rule is be car care aware. You've got to take care of the maintenance. That book in the glove box that's still in the wrapping underneath all the napkins and ketchup packs, because I've been in most people's glove boxes apparently, um, you want to go into the maintenance schedule, and you must follow the oil change schedule. And I highly recommend, whether you buy a car that's five years old, that you use full synthetic oil, full synthetic fluids, and Always stick with the schedule because if you follow all the schedules as far as brake pads and maintenance and everything, because some repairs can be expensive, if you're on top of it, you can save up to $1,200 a year by just being proactive. Now, if you say, oh, I can't afford that oil change, I really want to go buy those the shoes or that purse or go out with my friends or go on vacation, that's going to start costing you because if you need to replace a motor in a car, it could be more than the value of the vehicle. So in some cases, I've heard motors go 10, 15,000 miles. Remember, we're not talking about engines that used to be cast iron. We're talking about aluminum engines that are high tech. There's a lot of work to get through the computers. So if you don't stay on top of the repairs, it could cost you money. But if you do all the repairs and maintenance, you rotate the tires, you check your tire pressure once a month against the number inside your driver's door, and you're totally loyal to that, you will easily get 100,000 miles plus out of it. And then you're really getting the most value out of your vehicle. And if you say, well, I don't really know how to do this myself, that's fine. Find an ASE certified technician. You'll see a blue gear outside their shop. It says ASE, Apple Sam Edward, which stands for Automotive Service Excellence. Those people are trained, whether you have a hybrid and you have an old Prius or you bought yourself an old F-150, whatever that might be. Now you're getting someone to maintain it and you create a relationship just like you would at the dealership You create a relationship with that mechanic. Another tip is if you're going to buy a used car, please don't ever, ever buy a flood damaged car. They're out there and Carfax only has about 60% of those cars. So if you're buying a used car and it's not from that dealer brand, again, let's say you're looking at a Volkswagen, you're at the Chevy dealership, don't rely on them. They only know cars in general. They don't know that specific model. They know their product. They don't know other people's product. What you want to do is take it to either the dealer of that brand and ask them to check it or find an ASC certified tech. It'll cost you about $200 and then have them put it up on the lift and literally go through it. You want to look at the undercarriage, the brakes, the fuse box, everything. Here's a list of things you need to know. Green, this stuff is great. Yellow, you know, you might need an exhaust system. The brakes are looking kind of questionable. You know, the power steering is not functioning the way it should. And then red, hey, you got a problem. This car has been in a flood and they say make a deal. Do not make a deal. Walk away from all flood damaged cars. There is no factory warranty. There's no emissions warranty. There's no rust through protection. And there's a lot of problems that go with it. Electricity and water do not like each other. So if you run across that and the deal seems too good to be true, walk away. I want to pivot now slightly to features and options. I feel like when someone is buying a car now, it seems there's hundreds of different choices they can make and buyers struggle to prioritize which are most important to them. Obviously, this is a personal choice for individual buyers, but I'm curious uh, which features you two recommend, maybe from a safety standpoint, a convenience standpoint, or even just a, yeah, that's that's an awesome upgrade that I highly recommend. What are, what are a few that, that you guys have for those different categories? Uh, I love, and th- this is a basic, basic feature, heated seats. They make life so much better. I mean, like you're, you, you overdo it at the gym, bam, it's just like built in. A heated steering wheel, if you can find it, um, it just feels so nice on cold mornings and it kind of just upgrades your commute a little bit. But that's kind of basic. Um, some of the other stuff that I really do like, 
Um, I'm a big fan of automatic emergency braking, um, provided that you understand how it works in your car. Um, do not trust your dealer on this. There's been a lot of really well-publicized incidences where dealers thought that they knew how this stuff worked. This is an area where automakers need to really work to educate dealer staff. Um, but when you buy the car, you know, make sure it has automatic emergency braking. And what this is, this is a system that can automatically stop the car. And depending on the system, it will work at different speeds and in different conditions. Now, you should get a car with this feature because it really can prevent you from having an accident. But immediately forget that you have it. Because I've been <laughs> in Ubers where the driver is on their phone and the guy says, no, no, it's okay. It has automatic emergency braking. And it, that's not what it's for. It's not a chauffeur. It's a guardian angel. So get it, turn it on, and forget that you have it, and then go about your merry way. And that one day where you're looking down to change the radio station, it'll come in and save you. Um, the other thing that I like, particularly if you're somebody who has little kids or dogs or anybody else who isn't going to behave well in a crowded parking lot, is um, either you know remote minivan doors, which are great, open the door, get them inside so they can't run away, or um, hands-free lift gates where you, or trunk openings where you can wave your foot under the car bumper while holding both you know, all your groceries and your kid's hand and get that trunk open without letting go. Because I've got um, my son, he is a runner. If I let go of his hand in a parking lot, he's going to take off. And so this feature that I've had on a number of test cars, at first I was like, well, this is silly. Who can't open a you know trunk for themselves? Well, when you're holding on to a screaming or a squirming toddler, yeah, I can't open the trunk for myself. It's also been very helpful too. You know, getting dogs in and out at the dog park where you need both hands on the leash. Just wave your foot underneath, get the dog in, be on your way. I've actually found it to be to me a really helpful safety feature, even though it's something that I use primarily when the car is stationary. Um, and then the other thing that I really, really like as somebody who goes from car to car to car a lot is Apple CarPlay and Android Auto because it just turns it into your phone. And you don't have to learn, I mean, why automakers are continuing to develop their own infotainment systems is beyond me. They should just use, you know, the systems that everybody already has on their phone. Um, and it just makes it so it's easily recognizable. It's easily, it's easy to understand. So there's a little bit less distraction from, wait, now, how do I enter, you know, a destination of the nav system? Um, so those are kind of my top four features that I always really like in any car that I test. Well, from, I'm, I'm very much in agreement with what you have, but one of my big things, my pet peeve, is lumbar support. I love heated seats. I love air-cooled seats. But today's cars, I don't care whether you're buying, like the Kia Forte comes in at $24,000. It has every single thing I'm going to list. But then you go and drive something that's a premium car, and it's not available. I'm like, <laughs> I'm buying a $60,000 car, and you don't have lumbar on both the driver and passenger side. I have had more conversations and they will tell you remember they call me out sometimes about lumbar so whether you have a bad back or you just want to be comfortable seating comfort like i said is number one so okay i drive the car every day and when you go to dinner typically my husband will drive and i'll sit in the passenger side i know it's just some old thing that a lot of people pick up you know someone else drives so why is the person in the passenger seat uncomfortable especially if you're on a long drive and you do a swap like if you're driving from where i live up in the northeast down to Florida, let's say, to Disney, that's a 24-hour ride. We will rotate drivers. So as you're rotating drivers, which a lot of people do on a long road trip for the holidays, why should the person in the passenger seat be uncomfortable? So if you've got heated seats, it should be both. If you've got lumbar, it should be both. There should be wireless charging today. I, I can't believe that I see wireless charging in $20,000 cars, but in $80,000 cars, it doesn't exist. It makes no sense. Apple CarPlay, Android Auto should be absolutely standard satellite radio should not be an extra add-on i mean everybody uses it whether using it for local programming and again one thing i see missing a lot and really upsets me is am radio what is going on with it they'll put a cd player in and i don't even use cds anymore because i stream everything off my phone through bluetooth which should also be standard i still can't believe that they're eliminating am radio when it's the easiest signal to get because when the weather is bad or traffic is bad, first thing we all do is go for local radio because they're going to be reporting it. But you can't get the local radio if it's AM doesn't work because most of the smaller cities, unlike the top five cities, they still use talk radio and they cover that type of thing. So I just see some weird things that they're doing. Like you said, why are you creating your own version of it when it works? Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, I'm, I'm a Mac user as well. But people that use Android shouldn't be punished. Um, and Bluetooth and wireless charging, I mean, 
I, I really complain mostly about lumber, and I always have a thumbs up and a thumbs down all my car reviews because it's like, thank goodness, a $20,000 car, yes, I can get lumber. <laughs> but I think that there's also, too, um, features that can that sound really good in theory but are completely not at all mm. worth it. Um, yes. So, I mean, there's a couple of those where it's like, oh, it parks itself. I have yet to encounter a self-parking system that works in you know, even 50% of the situations that I've put it in. Um, I'm also like that. That's number one. Number two, some of these super high end cars will have massaging seats. No, it's, I mean, it can be nice, but like, it's either going to be too light. So it's just like, is that a bug? Like what's crawling up my back? What's going on there? Or, you know, somebody, if you're not the exact right frame for, you know, the, where the massage setting is. So I've been sitting in cars where I have massagers kind of going on either side of my neck because they're be meant, meaning to hit my shoulders and it's not even close. It just looks like the seat is having a seizure behind me. Um, I really can't stand, and this is, again, just me personally, I can't stand cooled seats. Um, my husband loves them. But, and, <laughs> but while I love heated seats, cooled seats just make, you know, my rear end feel clammy. And so I'm driving along going, like, did I sit in a puddle? Like, what's going on here? And so, but this is all stuff, you know, while you're on your test drive, make sure that don't just take the dealer's word for it. Like, oh, you should go for this package because it has massaging seats. It's awesome. You'll love it. Turn those massagers on and drive around for 30 minutes and see if it's actually worth, you know, the entire cost of the package just to get this one kind of, you know, feature that you're just going to brag about at the water cooler. And let's be honest, you've been driving all these years without massaging seats. You'll be fine without them. Um, the same thing, too. You know, the the sunroof. I love a sunroof. Um, I won't buy a car without a sunroof. But you can be sure that anytime I'm test driving, no matter the weather, I am t opening up that sunroof and I'm hitting the highway to see if it's actually going to be comfortable for me to have it open, you know, on my commute or on a road trip. Because sometimes some of them, they just get super duper loud and you see the headliner flopping around because wind gets in so really like any of these features that you want even if they just sound like a nice to have for you put them through their paces like your test drive if you're spending less than an hour on your test drive you're not even coming close to spending enough time on it um so really just use them all and if the sales guy is kind of going like let's go back to the dealer say i'm not ready yet I want to feel these massages a little bit longer or i'm going to turn on the cooled seats and see if they're just as you know clammy and silly as jamie said they were Right. And then my big pet peeve, I really don't like head-up display. That they drives you're gonna have head-up display, then do it right. Have it built into the dash. I wanna see it in front of me. I want it to be big and I want it to be helpful. I don't just need the miles per hour and it drives me nuts. These pieces of plastic that many manufacturers are saying, but we have head-up display. Great, but I don't wanna pay for it. And a lot of people don't like that piece of plastic because it's either up all the time and it's ugly or it goes down slow moving. And I always say, yeah, what's going to happen when that thing breaks or doesn't work? It drives me crazy. So I'm a big fan of no head-up display. I do like virtual cockpit, which Audi has, which is literally the whole screen goes to, to uh, navigation, which is probably the best navigation system on the market because then you have the center screen for something else. Um, but as far as... Pet peeves, lane departure warning drives me nuts. So I will always test the vehicle with it, and within 30 seconds, I shut it off because I'm one that pays attention on the road. Now, if you're going on a long highway cruise and you know you're thinking, oh, I'm going, you know, to grandma's house for Thanksgiving, it might be a really good thing to have. But remember, there are different systems in different brands. Some will give you a notification with a light, either in the mirror or in front of you. Some will be audible, which is fine. Others actually push you back in the lane. And that is a personal preference. And this is part of that autonomous technology they're trying to force down our throats, which I'm a driver. I don't like to be driven or I'll call a cab. But that, that drives me nuts. And some of them are adjustable. I know that Ford has an adjustable system where you can say, you know, light, medium, or strong. I don't need to be pushed back in the lane. To me, it reminds me of just being shoved in a, in a mall when it's busy. You know, it's like, ugh, get out of my way. So that, that drives me crazy. Uh, I am a huge fan of a round view camera, but regular backup cameras or the ones that are built into the rear view mirror are a personal choice. I'm not a fan of the ones that are in the rear view mirror because they drive me crazy because it gives me a headache. But that, again, is a personal thing. And start-stop technology, I want to be able to shut it off. Now, if that doesn't bother you and you're totally fine sitting in a light and the light and the car shuts down and turns on and shuts off because of your AC is on, 
fine. For me, I get in the car and I shut it off immediately and I want to leave it off. And some vehicles don't allow you to shut it off. And the only reason it's there is to give them an extra tablespoon more of fuel economy. So make sure you check that out as well. I mean, there's a lot of technologies that are great that can really help you, round view camera. But the self-parking, like you said, huge waste of money. Um, I've played with every brand as well, perpendicular, parallel park. And for me, most of them work, especially when you're looking for a parking spot. You're going slow here in New York City where I am now. Uh, I can find a spot and I can parallel park better than it can. It's kind of neat to watch it work and you probably use it once or twice to show your friends and you never use it. Because if you're someone who does this all the time, it's really hard to give up the control of a vehicle to the vehicle. So while everyone's thinking cars are gonna be autonomous in the future, I don't think we're gonna see that in the near future. So don't hang your hat on that. There's a lot of factors such as weather and hacking that may stop it from ever hitting the marketplace. Jamie, I know U.S. News just gave out their Best Cars for the Money and Best Cars for Families awards very recently. Uh, What can you tell us about those two launches? All right. So Best Cars for the Money, um, that is our flagship award. And what this is based on is half of a car's award score is based on its performance in the U.S. News Best Car Rankings. Now, That performance isn't based on my opinion or any of our auto staff opinion. What we do is we collect and we analyze every published and credible review of a given model. So this is the collective opinion of the automotive press. Then the other half of the award is based on um, how good a value the car is. And so we look at actual transaction price, so what people are actually paying for the car, as well as five-year total ownership costs. Um, So what you get are cars that are going to be a pleasure to own and are good long-term values. Um, And what was most surprising about this year's winners is Kia and Honda tied for the most awards. Um, now, if you follow cars and you're in the you know industry, you know that Kia is a great car brand. Um, but I think for most people who are only dipping in and out of car news, you know, every seven years or so, because they're, that's when they're buying a car, um, you know, it kind of makes sense that Honda would win the most award, but awards, but Honda and Kia each tied for three. Um, and Kia has made some incredible strides, both in terms of the quality of the product they're putting out, the reliability of the, qual- of the product that they're putting out. And when you look at a metric like long-term ownership costs, you can really do well with a Kia because they offer that super long 100,000 mile powertrain warranty. Um, so that brings your five-year ownership cost down because the really expensive repairs, like the, oh, shoot, you know, the transmission fell out, um, which I'm not saying would happen on a Kia, but if it does, it's going to be covered under the powertrain warranty, which is great. Um, so look to those awards, and you can see them at cars.usnews.com. Look to those awards if you're looking for good value, and they cover, you know, 13 different automotive classes. If you're looking for a good family car, our best cars for families, um, they look at cars that have the best combination of reliability and safety ratings because you want a safe car for your family and you want you don't want a car that's going to leave you on the side of the road um and then you also look at um the cars with the um good passenger and cargo space in their class, and then performance in the U.S. News rankings, and then the availability of family-friendly features. And this is, you know, a little bit different. You know, most people, when they're talking about family-friendly features, are saying, ah, it's got a rear seat DVD system, and it's got, you know, 17 cup holders. And while we do take that stuff into account, we also include things like, hey, it's got the hands-free lift gate. That's a family-friendly feature. Hey, it's got automatic emergency braking. That's a family-friendly feature. It's got an app that lets you track where the car is. That's a family-friendly feature if you've got a teen driver. Um, I love some of these systems, um, you know, if you've got a teen where the car will text you if it's driven over a certain speed or outside of a certain geographic area. Um, I'm really glad they didn't have this technology when I was a kid, Um, but you can bet I'm really glad now that we'll have it for my kids. Um, There's 11 different classes there, um, so no matter really what your budget is, um, you're going to find one that's good. And we also really work hard on these awards to make sure that when we're talking about the winners and you know the, the family-friendly features, that we're looking at cars that'll help you no matter what stage of family life um, you're in. And there's also some cars in there, too, that are really good you know, for mom and dad. So, for example, the BMW 5 Series is um, one of the award winners, and it's a great family car because it has some awesome connectivity features. But I can tell you right now, whenever I'm testing a 5 Series, I drop the kids at daycare, and then I go have a blast by myself because it's just that much fun to drive. Um, same thing with the Acura RDX, was our best luxury compact SUV for families. You can get an optional stereo system that's just incredible. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you might be listening to kids bop, but it'll sound really, really good <laughs> as you're going down the road, which which matters. I mean, as a parent, you need 
need to have those little things that kind of keep you sane. Um, but again, too, you know, we also highlight cars that if you have an aging parent living with you, they're going to help that um, be a little bit easier if you have a multi-generational house, uh, household there as well. And whether you've got a teenager or a baby, um, we have cars that, you know, and we've recommended cars that, that'll make your life just a little bit easier. Because um, goodness knows, you know, whether you're, you know, a parent or whether you're an empty nester, you know, whoever you are, life's hard enough. Your car shouldn't make life any harder. And so with uh, Best Cars for the Money and Best Cars for Families, we're highlighting cars that'll make your life just that little bit better. So in, in honor of that, I want to close out with a little selection game uh, for you to, uh, I've decided to call it Pick Two. Uh, so I'm going to offer a few different car buyer types, and I want you each to give quickly two top suggestions for that buyer. Uh, if you have the same answers as, as, as the other guests, that's just fine, but uh, try to offer up another car so we can give uh, listeners some options here. So number one, uh, two cars for a single young professional. I guess I'll start. Uh, Mini Cooper is a blast. Both my kids have the Mini Cooper. My son's got a John Cooper Works. If you want something that includes maintenance, so much fun and you can do so much. And then the other end, if you're thinking, I'm single, young professional, and I want something nice to drive, I would say look at some of the Lexus lineup and some of the Acura lineup. They're really fabulous. You can get into a luxury car at a great value. Yeah, I, I would. I'm seconding the Mini, but I would also throw in the Hyundai Kona. It is a great little SUV, and you know, if if you're going and you're a single young professional, and you get suddenly get yourself a dog, there's still going to be plenty of space for it. Um, going for also, you know, a Kia Soul. Absolutely love the Kia Soul. Um, not so great on the fuel economy, but if you're in an urban environment where you know you're not going to be buffeted by high speed, you know, highway wi- highway winds a lot of the time, um, the Soul has great outward visibility. It's easy to park. It's affordable. It's full of technology, um, and it stands out in a crowd. I'm really tired of seeing, although this is a sensible choice, I see like whenever I'm down in D.C., I see a lot of, you know, young urban professionals and they're commuting in their Corollas and their Civics, and those are great cars, but also expand your options list a little bit. Look at Hyundai, look at Kia. Right. I agree with that. I'll definitely, Hyundai, Hyundai and Honda and Kia, and they make great product. And if you're going to buy a car, you can't go wrong with a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty, especially if you're a new professional, you're right out of college, first job, and you're going to buy the car because you don't know if you're going to drive a lot or whether you'll get moved to another location. Always look for something with a long warranty. How about two cars for a small family? Oh, wow. Um, I'm I'm, I'm really a fan of the Ford Explorer. I mean, I've had many of them over the years. It's a good-sized SUV. You can put all that kid stuff in the back, the strollers and the playpen and all the... Oh, gosh, I'm so glad I'm done with all that. Taking off... <laughs> My kids are in their 20s. But but I remember all that stuff. And the Explorer, I, I must have bought four of them over the years, and I was leasing them. So I have to say it's always been a steadfast, great choice. Uh, and then going on the other end, I, I think you, you want... Maybe something that's a little larger if you've got kids and you're planning to expand your family. I'm not a minivan person, but a larger SUV. Uh, the Kia Sorento has been great because you've got a family and something reliable with a good long warranty. Three rows. Uh, and again, there's so many cars in that three-row SUV category. It's something to consider. Um, you know, looking at smaller cars and you got to bring all that kid stuff with you, you really have to think twice and not forget what you're using your vehicle for. Yeah, I would have to go with it's 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 an obvious choice, but the Honda CRV. There's a reason they sell so many of them. These are good, long term, very useful, very practical um, small SUVs. Um, but then also like the X, the Volvo XC60. If you want to take care of yourself um, a little bit and kind of treat yourself after you drop the kids off and you just want a nice, comfortable commute, XC60. Um, has some great, um, you know, tech features. It's got very strong performance. You can go, it, there's a ton of powertrain options to choose from. And it's just a gorgeous car to look at. It's beautiful without being kind of ostentatious. Um, and so it's kind of understated luxury in the design. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's just a nice choice that um, it has a really serene interior as well. And I also just love the infotainment system. How about two cars now for the larger family and a dog, at least one dog? <laughs> Well, now you're talking about big vehicles. If I had, I had a larger family and a dog, and I said, I really just want the lap of luxury, Lincoln Navigator. Oh, my gosh. It was Truck of the Year last year for North American Truck of the Year. But I have to say, when you get in that thing and you see the screen and all the technology and the safety and just everything you need, especially if you're going to go camping and you got a lot of kids or you're going to go on a long road trip, you'll be very 
grateful that you have for that. Uh, Lexus also makes a very large SUV. Again, you're talking about dollars and cents here. There's a lot of great choices in the large family category, but I, I think your best bet is to look at an SUV so you have a ton of flexibility because when you have older kids that get into that middle school, you're probably hauling around their friends too. Yeah, Lauren stole mine because the Navigator is amazing. <laughs> like, it is such a such a good SUV. If you want to spend a little bit less, the Ford Expedition is a great option. I'm also really excited about the Lincoln Aviator that's coming out later this year. It's more, yeah, of, a, it's more of a crossover, so it's a little bit easier to drive than the Navigator because if you're in kind of a more urban area, um, that one's going to be a little bit tough. It, I got to say, like... They they get a lot of flack. Minivans make life really easy. They're automotive sweatpants. You can just kind of throw them on and go. And, like, when you have little kids, they can get in and out by themselves. Um, when you have older kids, there's plenty of room for them. And, yeah, you don't look cool, but just, you know, be secure enough in yourself to just, you know, not care what other people think. And then when your kids are gone, go buy yourself a Porsche. Um, and yes. just put up, yeah, put up with the minivan for a couple of years, you know, while you've got the family and the dog. And the other nice thing about the minivan, too, is if you've got a big dog, um, when your dog gets old, it'll be easy for the dog to get in and out of. Um, I had a Chevy Tahoe and a 120-pound Rottweiler that could no longer jump into it, and that was a problem. So I kind of wish we had a minivan then. Um, but, yeah, just suck it up. Get a minivan. They're great. <laughs> so you, you alluded to the Porsche a little bit. So now two cars. For the middle-aged professional, they're able to pay those luxury prices, and the kids are no longer at home. What do you got? Any Porsche. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 911 GT3 RS and uh, maybe a Jaguar F-Type SVR. No, I, I've got expensive taste. But, uh, and, of course, if you really got deep pockets, go for the Ford GT. Yeah, I mean, I, I would still go for, I love the Porsche Boxster. It's, a, you know, less expensive than the 911, although you get on these Porsche odor boards and everybody who buys a Boxster immediately wishes they'd bought a 911, but it's a mid-engine car. It's perfectly balanced. Um, and, you know, it's the least expensive kind of Porsche sports car you can get. Um, I've also, I really like the Miata. I think it's a good little sports car. You can still fit some golf bags in it um, for just two people. And it allows you, you know, if you're kind of a middle-aged professional, you know, maybe if you're retiring soon, you don't want to blow all your money on a Porsche. Um, so just going and just going for a little bit less expensive with the Miata, you'll still have tons of fun. And what I really like about the Miata is um, it's just as much fun at 40 miles an hour as other cars are at 90 miles an hour. Um, so if you live in a congested area, you could still have a really good time with the Miata. I'm a big fan of the Mustang GT also. If you think I don't really have those deep pockets that Lauren's talking about, and you're thinking, I just, you know, I got like $40,000 and I just want something fun. Drive the new Mustang GT. They have done a fabulous job where they've picked up the technology and still give you that real performance and if you're still a three pedal person like i am and it sounds like jamie is too i love manual transmissions maybe not for kids running around but when you're looking at something fun to drive the mustang gt gives you a lot of money a lot of value all right then the last one here two cars for the road trippers maybe for long distances or maybe even for the the off-road trip hmm so Again, I would have to go back to like the Navigator or Expedition. There is no better road trip car, in my opinion, than those two. And the Expedition, I mean, I know technically you can take a Navigator off road, but let's be honest, if you're dropping, you know, 90 to 100 grand on an SUV, you're not going to want to do that. Um, the Expedition, I think, is a little bit big for off roading, but you could certainly handle some dirt roads, a little bit of camping with it. Um, if you're still going to stay on pavement, the Lexus RX is a great road trip car. Um, also, the Ford Edge, very strong road trip car. I think, you know, I, I drive a Toyota 4Runner and it's an excellent off-roader, but man, is it terrible on long car trips. Like it is loud, it is bumpy. Um, so you kind of have to choose. Are you going to go off-road or are you going to go partially deaf while you're on the road because of the wind noise and all that? Right. All right. For my, I agree with the Navigator again for long road trips. If you're on road, you're going to do those long coast to coast trips, take the kids to go see this beautiful country. Navigator Expedition cannot go wrong. You will not be disappointed and great value. And there's a Ford dealer everywhere. Now, if you're saying we're going off-road, then you go with what I call the mountain goat. Without any question, Land Rover and Range Rover make the best off-road vehicles by far. And we have done some crazy stuff in Iceland. I'm going to Greece in a couple weeks. I mean, we've driven all over this planet in the most impressive areas where you're thinking, 
I'm not doing that. With a guy in the passenger seat who's showing me that I can rock crawl in a Range Rover that rides great on the street, great technology, excellent safety, and it includes maintenance. So I give them a lot of credit. They've really stepped up their games, both Land Rover and, and Jaguar. And, and I'm a big fan of the F-Pace as well. But, but if you've got a bigger family, you're probably going to want to go Navigator on the road. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you both. Finally, any last words of advice for those interested in buying a car in 2019? Your best nugget of wisdom. Go against the grain. Buy a car, not an SUV. I know gas prices are cheap, but you will save enough upfront on a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid that it'll be well worth it. Um, just go against the grain. Look at what everybody else is doing and do the exact opposite. That's your best shot at getting a good deal. Uh, my best advice is never be afraid to walk away, no matter whether it's online or in person. A lot of times there's deals and, and people think it's too good to be true or you're getting pressured that the deal goes away at the end of the month. Never pay retail, always be, you know, never be afraid to walk away and do your homework. So when you walk in, you know where the price ranges are. There's tons of websites like True Car. You can go on, you can find the range in your zip code, and you know that everyone in your area is paying this price. Don't pay too much. So negotiate and don't leave money on the table. Lauren, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. Where on social media can our listeners find you to learn more about the auto industry? You can go to laurenfix.com or Car Coach Reports, which is my outlet. Follow me on all forms of social media at Lauren Fix. And don't forget to subscribe to our 4-Minute Friday, which we put out every single week on YouTube. Thank you very much. And Jamie, thank you for joining me this week. Hopefully we can have you on again for another Autos episode sometime soon. Now, where on social media can our listeners find you? I'm on Twitter at jpagedeaton. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. For more on automotive rankings and reviews, please visit cars.usnews.com for the latest info, advice, and deals on all major makes and models. If you have specific financial questions you'd like answered on the show, please email us at wealthofknowledge@usnews.com, at and we'll try to answer a few on future episodes. Finally, please subscribe, rate, and comment on our podcast so that we can help more people make smarter decisions with their finances. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. See you next week.